You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. But uh, this message is is brand new. This is the first time I've preached it. Uh, but I've been uh, well. Sorry, I preached it this morning, so brand new today. Sorry, <clears throat> in South. I'm sorry. But see, now you get the better version because this is the third time. Okay, it's still brand new, fresh. But I've had you know, like I just tested it on South, and now I've got it ready for you. And, and so. <clears throat> But uh, I really feel like this is a powerful word. It's something that I've been meditating on for uh, at least the last month and, and just looking into the Scripture and, and it comes out of personal. I don't think I've ever, actually I'm 100%, I've never prepared a message that spoke more to me. And even as I was, even this morning, I, had, I was getting ready and I had to keep just stopping because it was like looking in a mirror where God was just rebuking me and speaking, you know, like preaching to myself. So uh, at least I'm going to get something out of it tonight. Uh, so that's good. But uh, I titled this message, The Pressure Test. And, you know, we live in a world today where there's a lot of pressure. You know, I don't think there's ever been a time where there's been more anxiety, depression, suicide, just pressure, whether it's demonic and spiritual pressure or, you know, whether it's financial pressure, there's this thing that the pressure tests that we all go through and there's seasons where we might be going through a season. I know for us, I'll share this, it's been a, a season of pressure over the last little while. But God allows us to go through the pressure test because of what He wants to do in the pressure test. See, a pressure test is not a bad thing. When, when uh, a pressure test in the world where they say either a pipe or a gas cylinder, before they use that particular thing to bring valuable resource through it, they will do a pressure test. And the reason they do that is because, one, they want to make sure that it can carry this, this, this valuable uh, source through it. And they also want to fo- see if there are any cracks. But if there are cracks, they don't get rid of the vessel, but they actually repair the cracks so that the thing can bring the valuable resource through it. And so when God brings a pressure test to us, He's allowing pressure to come so that we can see some of the cracks, not so that he disqualifies us, but so we can identify them and heal them so that the incredible thing that God wants to bring through us can actually go through us. You know, we live in a time where so much pressure and we've even in the last few months seen pastors, actually a pastor take his own life because of demonic pressure. And I want to tell you that if you feel that you're in that same kind of pressure, I want to tell you that there's always an answer in Jesus Christ. No matter what kind of a hole you think that you're in, let me tell you, Jesus can pull you out of that hole. Jesus can pick you up and take you out. You know, there's a young lady called Jazz Thornton who grew up in New Zealand. She still lives there today. And at the age of 12, there was some terrible stuff going on at home. She was being bullied at school. And a terrible thing, at 12 years old, she attempted to take her life. Over the next nine years, she attempted to take her life more than 10 times. She had major chronic depression, PTSD. She was in and out of the psych ward for her whole teenage years. It actually got so bad that at about 19 or 20, she was in the psych ward in intensive care. 
there was a church that someone had a connection with this young girl, Jazz, and they would go and visit her. And this one particular guy, he would go and visit and he would declare over her that God was going to use her story all over the world. And this is while she's in intensive care in the psych ward. And and I happened to be speaking at this particular church in Auckland, New Zealand. And this couple went into the psych ward and asked permission if we could just bring jazz to the Sunday night service. And I shared about drug-induced psychosis and how I was suicidal and, you know, riddled by the demonic. And, and I gave this altar call where hundreds of people came forward, but Jazz jumped out of her seat and ran to the altar. And I didn't know who it was or what her story was, but hundreds at the altar. And I remember, I still remember, it was about four years ago, I remember seeing her and I grabbed her hand and started to prophesy and say things like, you've had trouble sleeping, but as of tonight, you're going to start to sleep like a baby. God's going to turn things around. Around. And in that moment, nine years of suicidal tendencies were completely broken. Depression lifted off. PTSD gone no more. Four or five years ago, fast forward four to five years, Jazz has now made a movie about suicide, written a book about suicide, has been on almost every television program. Just a month ago, she was in Washington, D.C., speaking to the U.N., representing mental health and how we can make a difference. I want to tell you, there's always hope. Jesus is always the answer. No matter what you're going through, Jesus is the one that can pull you out and do a miracle. And I want to... I want to talk tonight about Elijah, and I've been studying Elijah over the last month, and, and rather, it's about six chapters where the Bible talks about Elijah. I'm not going to read the whole six chapters, but let me give you a synopsis. It starts with Elijah, the very moment that he's introduced, he appears before Ahab, the most evil king that the Bible had, who was also married to a very evil woman called Jezebel, and Isaiah, uh, sorry, Elijah appears before Ahab, and and he says, it's not going to rain until my word says so. It'll be a few years before it rains. And then we see Elijah gets led to this, this, this valley and, and he, uh, is, he, he's fed from the, the brook and, and ravens bring meat from heaven. And then again, God speaks and he goes to another place called Zarephath where a widow, God says, she'll provide for you. And she only has a little bit of oil and flour and and miraculously, because of his word, she never runs out of the oil and flour, and that's how he's provided for. Uh, while he's with this woman, her son is dead, and Elijah grabs the boy, and he, he speaks life, and he comes back to life. He's miraculously brought back from the dead. And, and then the crescendo of Elijah's life, he finds himself appearing before God's people and up against 450 bell prophets because they ruled the day that the people had turned away from God. And he says to the bell prophets, he says, you put a bull in your altar and I'll put one in mine and we'll see which God uh, answers by fire and that is the real God. And all day they're kind of yelling out and nothing happens. And Elijah, he tips water over his bull just to show off God's goodness. Because who knows that you can't light a fire if it's waterlogged. But at the same time, just as a side point, they were in a drought. So water was an incredible, valuable resource. If you want to see a miracle happen, it's got to cost you something. He, he, he sacrificed so that the fire would come. And, and then he calls fire down from heaven and God answers by fire. And the people of God, the people, the Israelites turn back to God. 
And they take swords and kill all 450 of the Baal prophets. And then Elijah goes and he gets on his hands and knees and he prays for it to rain. And then rain after three and a half years at his word starts to drench the land and refresh the land. And, and then it takes a dramatic turn where this wicked witch, this evil Jezebel speaks one word, sends a message. Have you ever had a message that changed everything? Maybe an email that you answered and all of a sudden you were in a spin. Maybe it was a phone call with some news on that phone call that you didn't want to hear. Maybe it was a letter that someone wrote or, or, or something else happened. But he gets a message from this demonic Jezebel and it sends him into a spin. He, he runs away from God and he finds himself in a cave hiding. Hiding from God, hiding in escapism. And it's so amazing what happened to this incredible man of God who, who, who was at the heights of what he was doing, known all over the world, and now he finds himself under a tree, suicidal, asking God to just end his life, to finish him. I'm done. I'm finished. I've got nothing left. And what would cause this incredible man of God, to end up in this particular state. And I want to look at this just a little bit because for Elijah, this was a pressure test. But I actually believe, I'll show you at the end, that Elijah missed the mark a little bit on this. The first point is this, it's God's voice. You've got to understand it's God's voice or, or word that sustains you. See, the thing that gets you through is when you're full of the Word of God. When you're full of the voice of God, it's the thing that gets you through. See, the thing that gets you through the pressure test is when the Word is living inside of you. See, where people get in trouble is they end up in the test and the Word's not there and now they've got to try and get the Word in. See, if that ever happens, it's still the right solution to put the Word in. But that's not living out of the overflow. Where God wants you to live is that the Word is already in you. And when you step into lack, oh, that's okay, because I'm ready for this, because the Word's already on the inside. Oh, I got a bad diagnosis. All right, that's a bit of a shock. But you know what? The Word's already on the inside. I've already been meditating on this. And this is how Elijah starts out, but it's not how he finishes. See, in 1 Kings 17, 2-4, it says this. It says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. It's a picture of God intimately speaking to Elijah. He, he's just starting in ministry. God whispers the word of the Lord and he says to him, next slide. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Another translation says they'll bring meat. And so this whole start of Elijah's ministry, it starts with him hearing the voice of God, hearing God speak, and going to a place where what? He is feeding on the brook, the river, the, the, the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of him being filled with the Spirit. And what is he doing? He's eating meat that comes from above, meat that comes from heaven. And it's a picture of a devotional life. It's a picture of a man of God that knows that the Word and voice is the thing that sustains me. And then we find ourselves, because there's a pattern forming in verse 7 and 9, after this, uh, the brook, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord, here it is, it came to him again. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. 
And here we see the exact same pattern again, that, that, that Elijah has his ear towards heaven and the voice speaks and it directs him again. And what happens is a lady ends up with a little bit of oil and flour, but that oil and flour becomes supernatural and never runs out. So because his voice was attuned to heaven for the next season, he ate daily from the supernatural oil, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. And he ate the flour, which represents the bread, the Word of God. And it's this beautiful picture of a devotional life. It's the thing that sustained him. In the beginning, Elijah knew that that's what sustained him. Just as a side note, if you notice in both of these stories, your provision is always not where you are, but where God's called you to be. See, so often what we want is God to bring the provision and then I'll go. But God says, no, the provision is where I'm calling you to go. And so often we don't see the miracle because you've got to go to the place first before you'll see the miracle. But there's this beautiful picture of, of intimacy, of daily devotion, and, 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 it's, and, and it's what sustains us. Having the Word inside of us, it's really a picture of Elijah living out of the overflow. And that's where God wants you to live. That's the place where you'll overcome the pressure test. When you're living out of the overflow. But then we see a bit of a turn. Where Elijah, because he had been sustained by the Word of God, and he was living this kind of life, it brings him to this place where he takes down 450 prophets. He turns the whole nation back to God, but then it changes. You know, I remember when we first came to the USA and, and it was one of the hardest seasons that we'd ever endured. It was, I went from being booked 12 months in advance every year for five years and God says, go to America where no one knows who you are. And the first six months, I think we only preached 13 out of 26 weekends and only four of them were in America. I moved to a country to speak four times in six months. And I tell you, it was one of the toughest seasons I'd experienced. But the reason why we made it through is because before we came, we heard heaven speak about moving to America. But that wasn't all that happened. For probably a year before we came, I meditated on what God would do in our lives when we got to America. The doors that He was going to open, the favour that was going to come, the miracles that were going to happen. And see, when I got here, I was able to walk through a season that didn't look like what I'd seen because I'd already been in the Word and I was living out of the overflow. This was how Elijah started. But then we find ourselves... We find ourselves in 1 Kings 19, verse 1 to 9. And it says, now Ahab, he's killed the 450 prophets. <clears throat> Remember, there was the pattern of him seeing that the word was what sustained him. Now Ahab, no, sorry, back, I didn't read it yet. <laughs> now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And it says here, watch this, because now the pattern changes. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. This is the first time where he went somewhere that he wasn't meant to go. See, because if you come into agreement with the wrong things, you'll end up in the wrong place. See, when Elijah started, he was in agreement with God and in that devotional place and he kept ending up in the right place. But if you come into agreement with fear, if you come into agreement with what the devil's saying, then you will end up in the wrong place. And it goes on to say, 
He, went, he left his servant there. Yet while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread. Here we see bread again and hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord said, come back, of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. I want to leave it here. For the journey is too much for you. See, what is he saying now? See, each time we saw Elijah was sustained to go to the next level. But right now what we see is the angel saying, hey, you need food because you can't do the journey. In other words, Elijah, you're out of gas. Elijah, there's no more word living on the inside. Elijah, you got to a place where you stopped, you, you neglected what got you to where you were and now you've come to this place where you're burnt out and there's nothing left in you. You got to a place where you were giving what you actually didn't have and now you've ended up under a tree and you're suicidal. The angel, and like I said, when you end up at this place, the right answer is always to still eat the food. But this is not the powerful place God wants you to live. God wants you to have already eaten the food before you get to the place. Because that's when you'll move in greater power. And so this, this message rocked him. And, and then we see in, in 1 Kings 19, and I might just tell you this part, he ends up going to a cave and the cave speaks of escapism. See, because what pressure does is reveals cracks and cracks reveal pain. Cracks reveal, uh, they reveal pain and hurt and dysfunction. So what we often do is run to caves because we want to escape the pain. And he's in this pain, in this cave and God calls him out and he says, I'm going to pass by and he says, and then it says something to the, the extent of there was uh, a wind that literally broke up rock, rocks, but God was not in the wind. It says there was an earthquake that shook the land, but God was not in the earthquake. It says that there was fire that came, but God was not in the fire. And it says, then a still voice came and it caused him to pull his cloak over his head because God was in the still small voice. See, I want you to catch this. Why did God... Bring those three things first before the still voice of God. Because Elijah related to those three things. Elijah had seen fire fall from heaven many times. Elijah held a dead baby boy that was lifeless and he saw the wind of God come in that boy and bring him back to life. Elijah had seen the earth shake, whether it was politically or weather-wise, he had seen the earth shake. And what God was trying to show Elijah is, Elijah, it's not miracles that will sustain you. It's my voice that will sustain you. Elijah, somewhere along the road, you became about what, I, what you're doing for me rather than who I am. And when you stop being about who I am, you'll eventually stop seeing what I do. And he was trying to bring him back to that place of being sustained by relationship and the Word of God. These things, the things that God does, and it's so easy to fall into that place, especially when the Word was the thing that sustained us and it brought us to this incredible level. And now because we got to that level, we're seeing the things God does and we can st stop remembering what got us to that place and eventually we end up like Elijah. 
we were under a tree saying, God, what happened? Let me go to the next one. The, the second thing just to learn about this is new levels, new devils. And so for Elijah, he wasn't ready for the new devil. He wasn't ready for the new level. See, you want to be ready, sustained before you get there. And you've got to understand that every time you step up into another level, whether it's marriage, business, family, whatever it might be, there'll always be a new devil. See, if you imagine these 450 bell prophets, they're kind of like demons in a sense that were ruling the territory. But, but Jezebel, she was kind of like the principality and power that was over the whole lot and governed these 450 evil prophets. And so when Elijah killed the 450 prophets, just as a cool side note, he got rid of the demonic. You know what happened? Everybody turned their hearts to God. But then the first thing that happened after he killed the 450 prophets is all of a sudden it hadn't rained for three and a half years, but the heavens opened and the rain began to refresh the land. See, because I want to tell you, when you make a decision to say, generationally, I'm going to fight against the demonic. My parents were like this. My grandparents were like this. But I'm making a declaration that it stops with me. When you start to take out the devil in your own life, it changes the atmosphere. And it starts to rain, not just on you, but on everybody around you. That refreshing starts to come. But you've also got to be aware that when you step into that new round, the devil doesn't kind of sit back and just say, hey, I'm so proud of you. When you start taking ground, whether it's because you're called to business or arts or politics or whatever it is, when you start taking ground, the devil takes notice and he brings greater reinforcements. And this is what Elijah wasn't ready for. He had fought the 450, in a sense, demons, but now one word from the principality and power and see, you've got to understand it. It wasn't just a word from a, from a normal woman. Because that wouldn't have the power to cause him to be under a tree suicidal. But it was the demonic realm and influence that was behind the word. The message that was dripped in demonic power. And he wasn't, hadn't been sustained enough by the word. And that one word from the devil completely took him out. He wasn't ready for new levels, new devils. See, in, in saying this, you know, in April this year, we launched some stuff and, and we've seen freedom happen like we had never seen in our entire life of being a Christian. See, more people set free, delivered, have powerful God encounters when I'm ministering or, you know, through all the other stuff that we're doing. And, I, and for about four months, I felt like we were just on cloud nine. But I promise you the last two months, have probably been the most pressured two months that I've ever had in my existence. It's literally like on every side, wherever I turn, there is the enemy coming at us. But see, and it took me a while to realize we've stepped into a new realm and a new level, and of course the devil's coming. But see, I want to just balance this point of new levels, new devils, because you need to be aware of this principle but you need to not focus on this principle. 
Because you know you don't want to be that person that you meet and it's like all they ever tell you is everything the devil's doing. Oh, I tell you what the devil's doing this week. Oh my God, the devil's doing this. No, no, no. I need to be aware that there's a devil and when I step up, he's going to come harder. I should be aware, but my focus is on the King of Kings. My focus is on the one that's already defeated the most powerful of all demons. My focus is on the one that says greater is he that lives on the inside of me than he that's in the world. My focus is on the one that says the same spirit that was in Christ is also in me. Last point, just if the keyboarders could come. The last thing is this, number three, is come out of the cave and get real with God. See, it's amazing because one message rocked this incredible man of God. One message. Do you know what I love as well? The New Testament says Elijah was a man just like us. Yes, he was an incredible man. And I mean, God loved him ridiculously. And, you know, he appears in the New Testament. He's one of only two men that never died and was taken straight up to heaven. But it seems that one message took him out. But we know that that's not the case. Because someone doesn't mess up from one thing. There's always a pathway to the thing. And I don't know what it was for Elijah. I mean, the Bible says he was from Tishbe, which means captive. Tishbe, Galid. Galid means testimony. So he was a captive at one time, but he had a testimony. Maybe he had an incredible testimony, but there was parts of his life that he never dealt with. I don't know what the cracks were in Elijah's life. I mean, we saw that moment when he was under the tree and when pressure comes, the, the real truth of what you believe often comes out. And I don't know if you remember the moment he said, yeah, I failed like, oh, that was part of it, I promise. Just, just a bit dramatic, you know. It's dramatic. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's fine. No, we'll just leave it there. Everyone, don't worry about it. It's all good. But at the end, if you're really serious for God, you'll kneel in the glass. Just to prove that you're like. Sometimes you've got to separate the sheep from the goats. No, I'm just messing with you. That's so not true. Okay. It's not true. So not true. But, but I don't know what it was for him. He, he says, I failed just like my ancestors. Maybe he carried something eternally where he always knew that he'd eventually fail. Everyone in my family failed. And I guess it'd just be a matter of time before I fail too. And now the pressure came. And it revealed the crack. It revealed the weakness. And then we find ourselves, I'm not going to go to the Scriptures, I'm just going to tell you it. In verse 9 of 19, it says that he went up to the mountain and he went into a cave. And he hid in the cave. And the cave, it speaks of escapism. See, because like I said earlier, that pressure, it reveals cracks. It reveals hurts. It reveals dysfunction. It reveals weakness. And often when, when, when weakness and dysfunction and hurt is revealed, it hurts. So what we want to do is we don't like the pain, so we look for the cave. And the cave is just a thing of escapism. And the reason we go to the cave, because inside of the cave, it's dark. And I can no longer see the cracks. And of course, there are some caves that are more destructive than others. But let's get real, a cave's a cave. 
Whether for you the cave is you go to food, or, or maybe it's binging on Netflix, or, or maybe it's your work, and, and you're like, well, I've got to work 80 hours a week. No, you don't. You're just running from the hurt. Or, or maybe it's too much alcohol, or maybe it's something sexual. And, and often we have caves that we go to because we don't like what the pressure is revealing. And our first tendency, just like Elijah, we say, well, where can I hide? Where's my cave that I can go into? But then it says that God speaks to him. And while he's still in the cave, God says, Elijah, why are you here? Why are you here? And he comes up with this answer and he, he says, well, I've been zealous for you. And I've done this and I've done that and, and they've killed all the prophets. And then they said, they're gonna kill me. And that's where God says, I'm gonna pass by. And there's the fire and the earthquake and the wind and then the still small voice. And it actually says that when he heard the still small voice that he came out of the cave and he stood at the entrance of the cave. See, if you've been hiding in a cave, It'll be when you start to listen to the still small voice that will bring you out of the cave. And then he comes out of the cave and I want you to catch this because I've never seen this before. He comes out of the cave and God asks him the same question. He says, Elijah, why are you here? And Elijah verbatim gives the exact same speech. He says, I've been zealous for you and I've done this and I've done that and they've killed all the prophets and, and now they want to kill me. See, the thing is, let's just say I asked Pastor Jesse a question and then he answers my question and then I ask him the exact same question again. There's only three reasons why that could happen. One, I didn't hear his answer correctly. God doesn't have a problem with hearing. Actually, let's just say it was, it was Pastor Cat that I asked. Two, I didn't understand what she was saying, which for men and women happens quite a lot because we both speak different languages. But the thing is, God's omniscient. He's all-knowing. So he wasn't asking again because he didn't understand what Elijah was saying. The third and final reason why he would ask the same question again is because Elijah gave the wrong answer. He was giving Elijah another chance to come out of the cave and get real with God. To come out of the cave and show some of the cracks. To, to, to let go of the pride that says, I've got to be the man of God that's zealous and amazing and awesome and, and I'm the only one. But if he could have just come out vulnerable and, and said, and, and I don't even know what the answer is. And, and, and if he didn't know the answer, then the answer was, God, I, I don't know why I'm here. Can you show me why I've ended up here? Or, or maybe he had to come out and say, you know, God, I've, I've actually always had a fear that I'd fail. And, and when Jezebel spoke that word, it triggered the fear from when I was a little boy. And that's why I ran to the cave. Or, or I don't know what it is. But Elijah missed the moment to allow the pressure to deal with the hurts that were stopping him from ending up where he needed to be. See, the pressure test is always about going to the next level. In the New Testament, it says this, that tribulation, rejoice in tribulation because it brings perseverance, character, 
and then hope. And I don't know if you've thought about it. Like, seriously, how does tribulation bring character? Well, it's actually not how you think. The way that tribulation actually brings character is tribulation often reveals lack of character. It was always there, but you could just never see it. In other words, pressure came and some of the stuff that came out, you're like, well, where did that come from? But now because I've seen it, I can journey to deal with it and now I have better character. See, this is, I'm just about done, but this is a, a thing again that I'd never seen before. And you can read the story later in Kings 19, 15, 18. I'd never seen this, but after this. So the second time he answers the same way. And then there's this little verse where God kind of says, yeah, and by the way, I've got 7,000 prophets ready to go. That was just like a backhand of love. Like, you're wrong. You're not the only one. And he just threw that in there. But then he says to him, he says, and this is what I've never seen. He says, all right, Elijah, go back the way you came. In other words, you're in the wrong place. Go back the way you came. And I want you to go and anoint Hazel the king. And then anoint Jehu. Both of them are going to take down the Ahab and Jezebel. And then I want you to go and I want you to anoint Elisha and he's going to take over from you. You know what he did straight from that moment? He went and found Elisha. He went and found Elisha and anointed him as prophet. And he did a couple other things and then eventually he went up to heaven in a fiery chariot and Elisha was the one that anointed Hazel and Jehu. And I believe that he actually missed out on all that God had for him. He's still an incredible man of God. But I believe he missed out on all that God had because he couldn't come out of the cave and get real with God and say, God, there's some cracks, there's some hurts, there's some brokenness, and I need you to help me heal it. I need you to help me get over it. See, because the thing is, the will of God still came to pass. God just used someone else to do it. See, if you won't get real with God and vulnerable, then He'll find someone else to fulfill the destiny that you were called to do. He'll still love you. He'll still bring you to heaven, but He'll get someone else to do the thing He called you to do if you can't get real with God. Last two things. See, if I was to get a map right now, and we put it up on the screen, and it was a beautiful map of the whole of San Diego. It was so intricate, it was detailed, it had every street, every, every tourist thing, it was, it was a beautiful detailed map. And then I got like a red star and I showed you where I wanted you to go on the map. And I made it so clear, this represents your destiny. If you can get here, that is your destiny. Who knows that no matter how good my map was and how clear the finished place was, if you can't identify where you are on the map, you can never get to the finish line. It doesn't matter how clearly I've pointed it out. See, Elijah failed to recognize where he was. And because he failed to recognize where he really was, he couldn't get to where he needed to be. Last story. Many will know that Pastor Mike Connor was here just a little while ago and, you know, really rocked our church and, I remember hearing about he was coming for a long period of time, about, I don't know, four or five months ago. And, 
And as soon as I heard, I felt the Holy Spirit say, don't book any weekends away on that weekend and just get around Him as much as you can. And I was privileged to drive Him most places. No, I'm not His son, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) And you know what? He, He actually really messed me up. When I got around him, I'm telling you, stuff started to come up that I just didn't even know was there. And it was the first time in my life, 20 years of being a Christian, it was the first time that I clearly saw the core issue in my life. And over 20 years, there'd been times where I'd gone to caves and I tried to fix the cave. But this was the first time ever that I actually saw the thing that was driving me to the cave. And as he spoke, it was so evident and clear that that rejection was the issue. And for those that have heard my story, three years of drug-induced psychosis, where the devil convinced me that I'd been rejected and abandoned for three years every day. My dad left when I was a little boy, rejected. And finally it comes to the, we're on the staff retreat and he's been ministering and I know I'm getting messed up bad and I'm ready to just kind of pop. And, and it gets to this main meeting and, and he started to pray and he did an altar call and literally I cried, not cried, ugly cried. Like, and not for five minutes, for like 30, 40 minutes, I literally ugly cried. I've never cried like that in my whole life. For three days after it, I was literally emotionally numb for three days. And I wish I could tell you that after He prayed for me, I'm completely free and healed and it's all awesome. Let me be real with you because I believe some people need to heal this that got ministered to by Him. I feel like I'm worse. Because we often have this mindset that deliverance is always this magic touch that fixes everything. That there's a magic touch that undoes 43 years of dysfunctionalism. And yes, sometimes that happens to a degree. But often what deliverance really is, is revealing a crack that you've never seen. But now that you've seen the crack, I can go through the process and I can do the work because now I can clearly see what the issue is. And it might take three months or six months, but I can walk with God so that I don't end up like Elijah and missing out on where God called me to be. See, the pressure test is not a a, a harsh God. The pressure test comes from a loving Father. And I believe tonight He's calling as a loving dad to some people that are in caves. And He's calling with His voice and He's saying, would you come out of the cave? But not just come out of the cave, would you come out in vulnerability? Would you reveal your cracks so that we can start to work on them and heal them so that you will end up going to where I've called you to go? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.